All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here this morning. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17 today. Uh, we're going through chapter 1, and basically the beginning of chapter 1 starts talking about certain teachers. We're going to say false teachers here. And the first few verses kind of introduces their talking, and then Paul is going to continue to talk to Timothy about the charge he's given them, or giving Timothy the charge to stop these false teachers. But between the opening verses and the end of the verses of chapter 1, there's going to be a section we looked at last week about the law. The false teachers are apparently using the law uh, in an inappropriate way. Uh, it's not clear. Timothy would know the situation. Uh, he's boots on the ground. And so Paul's not writing us a letter giving us all the detail. He's writing Timothy a letter. So we're kind of reading somebody else's email. We got enough information in it. It's scripture. But again, I would like to have a whole chapter of an outline of what are they teaching. Uh, Timothy knows that, and it's got something to do with the law. It's got something to do with the false teachers wanting to be teachers of the law, but he says not knowing what they're talking about. Uh, Paul's going to say in these verses here, uh, the law is good if it's used lawfully, if it's used for its purpose. The purpose of the law, and this became a problem, even you go down in, in, in Jewish teaching, especially go down to Philo at this time in Alexandria, Egypt, the law was the, 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 the directions for righteousness, and you just started uh, doing these things until you became righteous. And again, it'd be like us following uh, a good citizen would follow the laws of the land. They're, they're posted, we're going to follow these laws, and now we are good citizens. That can be done, but the standard here is God's righteousness, and we're fallen creatures, so no matter what we do to try to perfect this law, we're always going to keep failing. That was the point of the law. You can't do it. You should cry out for help. Uh, this law was more of a mirror. Uh, as you looked at these things, you should be like, oh my gosh, I, I can't do this, or at least on a consistent basis, or at least with a heart commitment that this is really what I want to do. Uh, it's, it's, again, it could be compared to a, a thermometer, a medical thermometer. You take a thermometer, you take your temperature. If you scan your forehead, put it in your mouth, however you take temperatures, and it, it, it re reveals that you have a fever. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I'm going to take my temperature again. And it's like you're gonna, you don't use a thermometer to get better. You don't use a thermometer to get healed. You use a thermometer to indicate there's a fever, there's a problem. The law, when used properly, indicated you have a fever, you have a problem, you need a savior. So let's start taking our temperature three times a day. It's, it's not going to make a difference. And so they want that, that's part of the issue. It, it, that sounds like the church of Galatia, where they had the law and they're trying to circumcise, make everyone become Jewish. But this law, as we saw, it involved more than that because they were starting to teach, it mentions myths and endless genealogies, where they were teaching uh, between the line information. They're going into myths. And, and so following these righteous decrees, trying to become righteous they took on these myths and endless genealogies going way beyond scripture and they want to be teachers but they do not know what they're talking about clearly they were they were entertaining clearly they were drawing people in because they're a problem they are not outside the church they are inside the church so they probably come through some kind of hearing the gospel accepting the gospel probably gone through some kind of baptism they're within the church just like paul prophesied in acts he says when i leave men within your numbers will arise and lead people astray. So these are people within the church. And then Paul is going to now, after that, that part, again, 
He tells Paul, Timothy, charge them to stop teaching. He continues this at the end of the chapter, but here he introduces their misuse of the law. But now Paul's going to talk about his personal experience and this personal experience uh, of his salvation. We need to be careful with these verses because we could just read through them. Because once you, re- you just read through them, it's like, yeah, 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 I know this, I understand this. But yet Paul is using this information as a, a counter to the false teachers. He's explaining the gospel. And once you say explaining the gospel, of course, we all understand the gospel. So it's just like, okay, I know this information. But if we slow down and, and kind of, I'm going to try to do, piece this together, we're going to get a very fresh perspective of what Paul is doing with this gospel. And in this part right here that we're looking at today, verses 12 through 17, that's this part right here, we're going to see three things that Paul is going to use. One, he's going to come against the false teachers. Uh, he's going to use this information against the false teachers. He's going to talk himself about being empowered by God, chosen by God, which he then tells Timothy, you also have been entrusted or empowered. And so Timothy is going to be in the same position, being uh, confirmed, being supported by God. And also we're going to have a very clear presentation of the gospel. And it's amazing when you, when you look at this again, I know it's amazing. Uh, It's typical but it's amazing it's so typical that when you look at it it's amazingly so typical that this gospel is about jesus it's it's about jesus doing everything it's there's no law there there's nothing in preparation it's jesus has come and ran the rescue mission which means that's the gospel uh gospel is a word uh it means basically good news, as you know, but a lot of times it referred to the emperor, good news about the emperor's political victory, or good news about the emperor's uh, uh, military victory. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some would consider that Paul is writing this in a way that is challenging the emperor. The, the emperor has a gospel. The emperor has good news. Well, some would say that Paul is challenging the emperor saying, well, we've got our own king, we've got our own emperor, and we've got our own good news. I'm not sure if it's quite as blatant as that, uh, but it is definitely in the same line. The emperor had good news. He won the victory. He's got control of the government. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He has control of salvation. And what do we need to do? Okay, if the emperor comes in with a triumphal procession having won a great military victory and the streets are lined with with this military and they're showing off the treasures and you're watching, oh, wow, what do you need to do? Uh, Well, I should go out and get a sword or join the... the, the, It's over. We're we're celebrating the gospel of the victory of the emperor and, and, and the military. Just, you're there. You celebrate. And the ideal is there. This is Jesus. Now, this is gonna be... What Paul is using right here, this gospel, is completely opposite of the false teachers. They're teaching and they're explaining and they're making details. And as we get into the book, they're going to talk about uh, not eating certain foods and and, and not drinking wine and not getting married. And and, and they're trying to establish all these things. And they're using myths and all this insight. And it's like, guys, you're way confused. It's the gospel of the victory of Jesus Christ. And then Paul's going to use himself as an example. Like how, what do you have to do to earn this gospel, this, be part of this victory? Well, let's see. He says, I was, a, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. 
I was an insolent man, difficult man, just trying to cause trouble. And Jesus considered me trustworthy. He says, I'll take that man and entrust him with this gospel message. And he came into my life and, and g- gave me the love and the faith and empowered me. And here I am. It's like, so you can do it this way. Try and follow this false message of all these rituals and regulations, which is leading you further and further into garbage and confusion. And there's no hope. There's no salvation. There's no deliverance. Or you can just accept the message of sound doctrine, sound teaching, which is healthy teaching. And the message is Jesus Christ has won the victory. I mean, really, that, that's how simple this is it almost sounds too simple now we should say this because this is where it's like well you just got to believe in jesus this whole message comes along with it a a lifestyle it's not just like a lot of times you just got to believe in jesus the ideal is once you enter this kingdom you're accepting this standard of behavior up here the false teachers we we read through all uh, of the corruption that we see in the previous verses all the sins that they can't overcome, and they end up drifting back into it because that's their nature. Once you enter into this gospel, you should take on a completely different nature. Your deliverance, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the lifestyle of sin, is in this message. Does that make sense? It's not just, we can say we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ in the sense that we're saved and we go to heaven. We enter the kingdom of God. We become united with Christ by faith, but also... You have been separated from your sin nature. Now, you still have, well, let's, let's see if this makes sense. Uh, body, soul, spirit. Okay, if that, spirit, soul, and body. This is the, the person. Uh, your spirit is dead before Christ, and your soul and body are producing sin. It's a sin nature. But when, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you become spiritually alive. Your soul is united with your spirit if you want to say it this way and there is this separation from the body now again not total because we all still live in a body we all experience a sin nature but there's this power with the holy spirit this new union in christ and this can now dominate the body in other words there's this separation you still have a sin nature this body will join in the redemption at the glorification at the resurrection right now your soul your mind is being renewed with the word of god to catch up with your spirit that's been born again you are alive justified in the past having your soul renewed right now as we learn paul's going to call it sound doctrine or healthy teaching it's exactly what it means healthy teaching is going to be put into your soul that's helping you build this union stronger and your body is being left behind this is going to produce the nature the character of god so anytime you sin if it be in your thoughts in your actions you're you're not losing this you're just going the wrong way and as you grow this way you're going to start pulling your body or your nature your behavior into the nature of jesus christ and you're going to start produce it's not i mean this is not like radical teaching it's called the fruit of the spirit it, it here it's called be no longer be conformed to the image of the world but be transformed into the image of of the son of god and so that's what's taking place right now this is where the battle's taking place you are born again your body is still has a sin nature but your soul has been united with the holy spirit in this new birth and you can that's why you can understand that's why you're listening to the teaching of the word of god sound doctrine because you can process it. How many people that are still 
unregenerate, just religious or just of this culture are interested in Bible teaching. It's like, it'd be like listening to rap music for me. Okay, haha, that was a joke. Okay, but it's like, it's like, it's like, some people, like, I like rock and roll, classic rock and roll. Some people shut it off. Some people like country. I drift from country. I know we just lost half the people here. It's like I'm leaving now. But it's like, there's certain music I like, but this is right here, the same thing, if I can make the analogy. Here, born-again people with the Spirit of God, their souls united with the life that God has placed in them. They hear the Word of God, the message of Scripture, the sound doctrine. They're like, they're listening because it's, it's food for their soul. People that are not born again are like, can we, can we get like, you know, like a special guest speaker? Can we have something like, you know, an activity? Can the children do the church service? And they have all these things to try and distract because we're not interested in the Word of God. Well, I understand because you're not born again. There's, you, it's like rap music. It's like, shut that off. Just give me some other entertainment. Give me a different style of music. Okay, that's a little bit preachy there. Let's get on to the scriptures. Here we go. I'm going to read. First uh, Timothy chapter one. I'm in the NIV right now. The notes have the English Standard Version. Chapter one, verse three, uh, going down to about verse seven, is going to be Paul's command to Timothy. We've covered this already. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so you can command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer. And these are t- people in the church. Nor to, teach, nor to devote themselves to myths. That's what they're devoted to. Not the scriptures, not the, the apostolic revelation, but myths and endless genealogies, most likely coming from the Old Testament, reading between the lines, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and their names together mean such-and-so. And it's like, what, what are you talking about? Uh, endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Now, going back up to uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 4, it says, These promote controversies rather than God's work. We're going to come back to that word here in just a moment. That's That's a word administration or household, which is by faith. And we're going to look at that word because this whole thing, this God's work, which is translated NIV, it's a fine translation right there, but it means more like a, uh, the steward, how steward, okay, can't spell stewardship, I'll spell household, more of a household or the administration, which is right there, it says it by faith now what's going to come up here a little bit later what god is doing uh god's administration how he's operating currently in history that's going to come up and another word for this is going to be in a few verses the gospel which means if you're going to function in god's household or god's administration called god's work there in the niv the the commodity of exchange the thing of value is by faith it's not law you're not going to function by law you're going to function in this household in this administration in the way things are happening in the kingdom of god right now in the within man is it's going to be by faith and the gospel is this administration and to hear this gospel you're going to have to hear sound teaching you're going to have to get correct information about this administration and when you hear that information 
You're going to have to process it by faith. You're going to have to accept it, believe it. Here he goes. Now, here's the contrary. Verse 8. We know that the law is good. Okay, the law is good if one uses it properly, if you use it like a thermometer. We are sick. We are depraved. We have a sin nature. We need to get some medical attention. Let's take our temperature again. Let's go back to the law and try doing it again. It's going to show you the same thing. You're losing. You're failing. You can't keep God's righteous decrees. Okay, I understand. Now I understand what I did. I'm going to try it again. It's like you're never, the ideal is it's, it's a dead end. The law indicates you need salvation. You need help. You need to cry out for help. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made for, not made for the righteous. Now, right here, the righteous, uh, we, we, this is a review, the righteous could be a people that are doing things correctly, but hypothetically, that's impossible because no one's doing it right. The righteous here uh, would probably, and, and in the flow of this, is those who are in Christ. You are, you've been separated from the law. Remember, you've now, your soul's been joined with the Spirit in life, united with the Holy Spirit. You have now been justified. You are now the righteous. The law is not for the righteous. The law is not for the Christian. What, okay, what do you need the law for? You need the law for a mirror or a thermometer showing you you have a problem. Okay, I need to go to the doctor. Okay, you go to the doctor. The treatment is the gospel. I accept the gospel. You're now righteous. The law. What's the purpose of the law? To indicate I'm a sinner, but I found Christ. Now my goal is to grow in sound teaching. So th that's one way of looking at that. The other way would be if you're a good citizen, you don't need a speed limit. You're going to drive the speed li limit anyhow. But that kind of goes against the whole idea here of, of Paul's going to talk about how wicked he was, not how I was following all. Because Paul's going to say, in other places, that he, he was faultless, according to the law. I, I was following all the laws. Okay, we know the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know the law is made for the righteous, uh, not made for the righteous, but for lawless or lawbreakers and rebels and the ungodly, the sinners. And basically we go through a real rough outline of the Ten Commandments. We went through this before. You get down to go, go right through there, the the honoring your fathers and mothers talk about killing their fathers and mothers do not kill it says murderers adulterers perverts all the way through a slave traders uh which it's that's really an indication of human tr human trafficking right there to slave traders and liars and perjurers and watch this and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine there's your word sound doctrine all these law the laws try to stop you from doing these things or identify these things that are contrary to what is basically sound doctrine sound doctrine is again the healthy teaching of the word of god now we begin the new verses today beginning in verse 12 verse 12 that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed god which he entrusted to me okay i'm going to read the next part here i thank christ jesus our lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. An interesting statement. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying, or faithful is the word, that deserves full acceptance. So he's about to say something. He's about to drop a, a doctrinal truth. 
This is a, a statement that's worthy of full acceptance. And here's the statement. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Uh, and that's the statement. Now, that's, that's a, an amazing statement. And that would probably be a good definition of the gospel. But it is also going to be contrary to the false teachers. For example, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the man, came into, Im, implicitly indicating he was in existence before he came in from outside into the world, became a man, and the reason he did that uh, into the world to save sinners. His whole purpose of coming into the world as a man was to save sinners. If that is not your message, how are you going to save sinners? We're going to have them obey the law. We're going to teach them the mysteries of, of hidden truths, the gate of the Gnosticism, and you're going to understand all. It's like, no, no, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now, he either was successful or he was not successful. The indication is he was successful, so sinners have been saved if they will accept the sound teaching introduced which is called the good news the gospel of jesus christ which is now currently his household or his administration the way he's running things if you disagree with that and you say well i think we're going to follow the law well you're a false teacher you have rejected uh this sound teaching that needs to be accepted that jesus christ came into the world uh to save sinners i'm looking for my place oh right here Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and then now Paul begins his personal testimony, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul, of course, is there rejoicing that he was saved, but he's also saying let me give you an example of what I mean Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For example, me. I was the worst sinner. I didn't do anything. I was trying to follow the law. I was trying to stop false teaching. I was doing all these things. But God had mercy on me and saved me through Jesus Christ. And here I am. So how do, how do people get saved? Well, look at what Paul did. I just accepted the truth. It, just, it was just given to me. He came and saved me. I didn't have to, again, you're going to have the competition in this book between those that are teaching the law and all this crazy teaching, and Paul saying, it's Jesus Christ who's already done the work. Stay in that sound teaching. Uh, and then we end today's verses here. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory, and forever and ever. Amen. And technically, if you want to look at it, we'll look at it again in a little bit here, but you, what you see right there, Sounds like a, it, it's liturgical. It's probably right out of uh, the synagogues, possibly that had gone up into the Hellenistic world that may be very familiar to the Jewish teaching uh, in the synagogues, or it may be something the Ephesian church is familiar with. Paul may be making this up as he's writing, just, just expressing himself, uh, you know, writing under the inspiration of the scripture, or he may be quoting part of a song or a liturgy that everybody's familiar with. And here it is. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that amen really puts it into a synagogue setting or a community setting where he makes a statement and says amen, and everyone who agrees with it, they would say 
amen, which means so be it. He makes this doctrinal statement. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor, glory, and forever, so be it. And everyone that agrees, so be it. And we're out of here. This is, that was the end of, of the, the, the service. What is interesting there in a strategic idea is he is taking, and the only, who is he talking about? He's talking about God. But the only deity mentioned in this book so far is who? Jesus Christ. So the commentators make a big point of this, saying he gets all, all the thing we're talking about is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's gospel, Jesus Christ this. And now we get now to the King Eternal. Who's the King Eternal? It'd have to be Jesus. Who is immortal? Jesus. Who is invisible? Who is the only God? Jesus, that is throwing another wrench into all the false teaching that's going on and is developing in Asia Minor at that time that Jesus is not just a, a man anointed by God. He is God himself who became a man. He's not just God who became a, a, an image, like looked like a, a phantom or a ghost that people thought he was a man. No, he is the man. He's from eternity. He is the king. And so this is a, a in other words, he's throwing back at them potentially the thing they say in church every time they meet and saying, you say this every time you meet, and yet the guy that got done teaching has contradicted everything you say in your confession. You have this liturgy as you end the service to the king, immortal, eternal God. It's like, yeah, but everything that was taught was contrary to that. Get these guys out of your church. And that's, that's why Timothy is being sent. Get these guys out of the church. And if you want to see... Going in verse 18, which we'll start with next week, he goes back to the opening of the book where he's giving Timothy a command, shut them up and get them out. And now, uh, I'll just read this. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. Previously, it was a charge, a command. In keeping in the prophecies once made about you. And again, we'll point this out. He's, he's going to talk about how he was, Paul was just mentioned about how he was called and set on a path by God. He's now telling Timothy, you also were called and set on a path by God when the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. And then he says, some have rejected these, the faith, and so have shipwrecked their faith. They've, they've destroyed themselves. And among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who have been handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Remember, Paul says, I was a blasphemer. He was speaking against God. But he does say, I was doing it. We'll talk about when we get there. We've got to hurry. He says, I did it I was in ignorance. I, I, I did not have the knowledge of what I was doing. These people are blasphemers. But remember, they've already, they're, they're in the church already. They've gone through some kind of hearing the gospel, accepting the gospel, some kind of catechism, some kind of baptism, some kind of, they're in the church, they've risen a place of leadership, and are teaching false doctrine, leading people away from the gospel, and so they are doing it not in ignorance, they're doing it with an understanding of what they've rejected, and have corrected by bringing in some false teaching, and he names them, Hymenaeus and Alexander. These are two people, I know this sounds harsh, I know the Western church can't imagine how this would go down, I mean, we can't we all just get along uh but timothy has been left in ephesus to find these guys and make sure they never teach in the church again and they are ostracized in fact paul says i've handed them over to satan and in that case is like satan is going to have his way with them and lead them further and further he may, they may continue to teach but they're going to go further and further into destruction until they collapse 
into total chaos in their lives and whatever they're doing. Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. You do not speak against the truth. He goes, if you do, well, watch these two guys. Let's just watch them crash and burn. But don't let them back into your teaching center. Okay, with that being said, here we go. Let's see if we can recover from that. Got eight pages of notes that say, uh, in a sense, the same thing, except more in an orderly fashion. Do you kind of understand the flow of this? So page one, uh, verse one, three, it says right away, charge these certain men, and that verse is chapter one, three through six, of he giving them a charge, that continues, as you saw, in verse 18. But between verse six and verse 18, you've got these two sections right here, chapter seven, or chapter one, Verse 7 through 11, we talked about that, about the law. And then what we're talking about today, verse 8 through 12, talking about basically the gospel and Paul's personal testimony. It will resume then. He goes back to telling Timothy, shut these men up. Uh, in verse 11, or 7 through 11, it says these men have swerved and they're now missing the target, which means, like we talked last week, this is the target. The target is the gospel. They've swerved and they've got a variety of other targets they're shooting at. And every other target is wrong. You've got 360 degrees. This is the right target. 359 degrees are all the wrong targets. And that's, he told, that third bullet point, uh, they're teaching non-truth or false uh, purposes. Uh, it's fruitless. Their talk is foolish. It's vain. It's empty. And it's leading to chaos. Chapter, right here, the new part, chapter, oops, excuse me, yeah, where did I go? I think I made a mistake there. Did I make a mistake? Ah, there's my mistake. I thought, man, I'm so fragile up here that one little mistake just throws me off. <laughs> Chapter 1, 12 through 17, contrasts Paul and his message of the glorious gospel with the false message. Here's the false message. This is the true message. And then he's going to go back to telling Timothy to continue. And it's, bottom of page one, it's the power of the gospel is the message itself. Now, on page two, this is that word I was referring to. It, it, in the NIV, which is fine, simply translates it God's work. But in chapter one, verse four, top of page two, it says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God, the English Standard Version, the stewardship from God, which is by faith. And so there is this stewardship of God, and you can see the word there, uh, oikonomian. It means stewardship or administration, and it is used to refer to the management of household affairs. It's this simple. If we have in, this, in the earth right here, we have this household we'll just take this box this is the household of god this is the administration of god and in this household this would be what we would say church this is the the universal church this is what god is doing in the earth today to enter this you enter by faith it is the gospel and this is the administration these teachers are teaching over here or out here they're teaching all these different things and not in here. In here, God's household, God's administration, what God is doing today in history is in the church. If God is doing something in history today, he's doing it in the church. Now that's taking into consideration there's special general, a general revelation going on. You know, God will 
reach all mankind somehow, you know, if it's, but, but when, they, when they're all, when they're, when they're being led, everyone that God is reaching with general revelation is being led to the church, the, the household, the administration of God. The commodity of exchange in this household is faith. It is not law. It is not good works. But if you are in this household of faith, forget good works. See, good works, this is kind of controversial, not controversial, but it could be confusing. It, when you're in this household and you're nourished in this household, receiving uh, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, healthy teaching, you're going to start to grow because this includes you being born again, includes the presence of the Holy Spirit in, dwells in you with your soul and your spirit. You add healthy doctrine, healthy teaching in this, you're going to start to grow. You're going to start to produce fruit now you can call that good works if you want to yeah that's that's a fair assessment but it's not good works like the law says do these things it's you're in this household faith in christ you're being conformed in his his image and you're producing this fruit you're producing the character of god and to replace good teaching with a legalistic system it's like unplugging your electric equipment it's like not putting gas it's like you're running on empty and this is going to lead to now you got to start making stuff up and it's going to lead further and further to bad teaching false teaching which is means you're going to stop producing fruit and good deeds you're going to start produce either legalistic actions or just more and more sin because you're back under the control of the sin nature okay so that's a key word uh and i've got it underlined there in the box in the greek uh, point 1C, if you want to see how it's translated, uh, English Standard, stewardship from God, NIV, God's work. It's also translated stewardship of God's work, King James, godly edifying, New American Standard, the plan of God, God's plan, or dispensation of God. All that, I think, are, are terms for the church age, where we're at today in history. Um, point 2A uh, it describes in the very next word describes it that it is in the household of god which is in faith or by faith which again that really makes you think of this must be the gospel or the gospel message point b paul declares concerning his oik oikonomian which is called the gospel uh, he says that that makes Paul the steward or the manager. Paul is the steward or the manager of this household, which, again, another fancy way of saying he's an apostle. Again, we talked about this on two or Monday nights. Understand this just in passing. The apostles are teaching, but the apostles are not establishing truth. In other words, Paul doesn't write something and what Paul, whatever Paul writes becomes the truth. That that's that would be a false understanding. If Paul says it, it's true. It works this way. Paul is an apostle, and the truth, which is Jesus Christ Himself or the Word, is being given to Paul, and Paul is the the administrator, the steward, the overseer that is now to present this truth. So, in other words, he is simply a conduit he's the message the truth if paul were to never have existed in history where would we have got the new testament not a problem because the truth exists outside of paul that's why peter also this is from tuesday monday night peter also was an apostle 
And so the truth came through Peter, and Peter expressed it. But there was a time in Galatians uh, where they had the confusion in the Antioch church where Peter started to follow the Judaizers, and Paul had to rebuke Peter because the apostles are not establishing doctrine. The apostles are communicating doctrine. And if they start communicating a false doctrine, that doesn't make it true. And, and Peter, of course, was corrected and came back in line. These false teachers that Paul is dealing with now with Timothy have apparently come into the church, received the truth, and then branched off on their own. I assume they've been warned. And, and, but at this point, it's like you're causing too much destruction and you're not coming back. They're being cut off. Nonetheless, uh, bottom of page 2, 1 Timothy 1.10 ends by saying this, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. All that list of all the sins violating the Ten Commandments, those are things that are contrary to sound, healthy teaching. So if you, if you look, if, very simple, using the thermometer, if you use that law as a, a sample, it's like I take my temperature and I'm, I'm a sinner, what do I go? Well, you can't just take your temperature again, you're going to get the same results. You need to go to sound doctrine, sound teaching, and it will then start teaching you uh, starting with the gospel, and you'll be transformed. And chapter 1, verse 11, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance, the sound teaching, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. So this is the gospel, and I think this is translated correctly. Some would could say the glorious gospel, and you can see the Greek there, but you know, many commentators do it different, or translators do it a different way. This is the good news, the victorious proclamation of King Jesus, of the glory of, it says right here, let me make sure I do it right, uh, gospel of the glory, the glory of who? The blessed God. So the good news, the victorious proclamation of the glory, and this glory is the fact that God's glory, but the fact that you're, you're being gathered in. You're being brought into this by faith, into this victory. You're on the street celebrating. It's like, what? The victory's all, what? We won. It's like, what did you do? It's like, I don't know. They're handing out the rewards now. And so the glory of the blessed God. And in the context, who is this blessed God? There's no, the only blessed God throughout this is the man Jesus is the blessed God. And not denying the Trinity, but the focus here that Paul is overriding uh, is Jesus is God. And then right here, he ends that verse 11, with which I have been entrusted. And that, that's, again, a challenging verse right there, uh, or word, and I'll try to dance around this. Paul has been, with that glorious gospel of the blessed God, or the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, Paul has been entrusted with this household, with this message, with this administration, with this, what God is doing in the earth. Paul has been entrusted with this. Now, he, he's going to get into some detail. And why was Paul entrusted? One, Paul was entrusted, and it's going to come up again later. One could be God looked at Paul and thought, you know what? He's, he's a guy I can trust. This guy is committed. You know, I trust Paul. I'm going to let him do it. Okay, you can go with that, that God's looking at the sinful creature, Paul, a sinful man who's in rebellion towards God's plan and says, you know, 
He's so committed. Once I get him on the right path, he'll, he'll be useful. That could be the answer that Paul's own character deserved to be entrusted to be an apostle, except for the fact the rest of these verses, Paul is talking about how worthless he is and how I wouldn't trust myself with anything. Uh, the other thing is going to be God is going to, Paul is going to say, he, in, he entrusted me, but he didn't just entrust me. He then gave me everything I needed, including changing me, uh, putting, giving a new nature, and then empowering me with this office of an apostle that he entrusted me with. So in other words, he was entrusted along with being strengthened. That's, that's a better way of looking at it, but it's still not that crisp and clear. The other way is Paul is looking at this, this gospel as amazing, we'll just say glory. And uh, Paul, God's saying, Paul, you're responsible. Uh, and he's like, wow. I mean, it would be like getting this inheritance. It's like, here's this inheritance. It's like, it's not like you're worthy of the inheritance. It's like, look what I'm responsible for. Now, again, the strength he's going to come along with, but Paul may be amazed that oh, I was trying to destroy this, and now I'm responsible for it? Uh, I think maybe about my, my, my first job I got hired as a, as a shop teacher in 1983. Uh, I was, you know, 23 years old, came out of college and wanted to be a woodworker, applied for some jobs, and uh, there's this one particular job that this wood shop was just amazing. It was an old shop teacher. He'd been there for 40 years, built an incredible wood shop. And I walked in, it's just like, oh, oh my, this guy's built this incredible system. And I, I walk in, and about two days, I went through the interview process. About two days later, I got a phone call. We'd like to offer you the job. It's like, oh, now if I sign it, I'll be entrusted with this, this shop. Now, one, the guy was, had been teaching woodworking to high school kids for 40 years, so there's no comparison. The guy is brilliant, very successful. Uh, but all the equipment, everything he had imagined he had, and I was, well, I'm just as good as he is, and I, but I was entrusted with that. That doesn't mean they looked at me and says, well, you know, he's just as good as the, the retiring shop teacher. No, I, no, no one thought that. Uh, uh, the, I did go through an interview process, so I didn't embarrass myself. Um, but the idea there, they, they didn't necessarily give me strength. They gave me the contract. But what I was, God, or God, yeah, God, but the, the principal, they entrusted me with this incredible shop program. And so somewhere in there, one, two, or three, one, definitely no, God did not look at Paul and go, you know what? There's nobody like you. I'm going to use you because you can help me out. You can help me and Jesus get this. It's like, you know, Paul is a lost sinner. So this is definitely not the answer. One, or second one, when he was entrusted, he was also strengthened for the position, which obviously is true because he was strengthened to be an apostle. And the other would be not so much that Paul was trustworthy, but he was entrusted with this responsibility. Somewhere in there is the answer. Uh, and uh, we'll keep going. All right. So in accordance with the gospel of the glory of God, the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. It's going to come up again later. Um, the, all this stuff, I go down through this page. I got sound doctrine, point six, which means healthy teaching. Uh, the gospel of God, uh, the gospel, of the, the glory of the gospel the glory of the blessed God. I got I, point eight, A, B, and C. This was all foretold in Isaiah. I've got it underlined there, the good news. 
Isaiah 40, verse 9. This is this what God was saying he was going to do the whole time. But in Isaiah 40, verse 9, for example, go up, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of, of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, which now in our context is Jesus, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And then there you got other two verses down there. What's interesting there is, if, I, if you can just allow me a moment to do eschatology, is this is Isaiah, uh, Isaiah writing, say, around 701 B.C. I'd always put Isaiah 701 B.C. And Jesus Christ comes in 30 A.D., but Isaiah, Jesus came and did the work, but then ascended with the intention of coming back and setting up his kingdom, and there will proclaim Isaiah may have been talking about this when Jesus returns. Because if you remember, when the glory leaves the temple uh, before the 586 destruction, Ezekiel sees the glory leave the temple the glory of God never comes back into the temple. When this, this went, through, went through Nehemiah uh, and, 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 and Ezra, and, and uh, they rebuilt the temple, but there's no mo- moment where the glory re-enters the temple. Like the glory enters the tabernacle in the wilderness. The glory enters the temple of Solomon's day. They had to shut down the service. And then Ezekiel sees the glory leave in a prophetic vision. It never comes back in Ezra's day or Nehemiah's day. Herod rebuilds the glorious temple. It's a glorious temple. It, it never comes back in. In fact, Pompey pulled the curtain back and walked back in around, what was it, 68 B.C. or something like that, and pulls the curtain back and looks. It's like, there's nothing here. The ark was even gone. They lost the ark in 586 B.C. We, different ideas of what happened to it. Um, but nonetheless, it was not, it, the ark was not there ever again after 586, nor did the glory of God ever enter the temple again. Uh, so when Jesus entered the temple, or entered the temple courts in his ministry, in a sense, that was the glory coming back in, but he was just moving around temporarily. He was going to be crucified, ascended to heaven, but the day is coming, and Ezekiel does record this at the end of the book of Ezekiel, where the glory is on Mount of Olives, and it enters the temple again, and that would be the glory of God re-entering Zion again, which is yet a future date that we're looking for. We're living in this time period. The administration of God, that little box I've been drawing, would be right here between, that's where we're at. Jesus has come. We've got the gospel, the victorious proclamation, but he's not yet entered back in, but we are proclaiming that glory. Nonetheless, it is all, we're all, we are all in that sense in process of these things all taking place. Okay, page three, that's good. Tick tock, tick tock. Uh, page four, uh, point ten. The gospel is then described as the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, uh, which is understood to be Jesus. There's the word entrusted. I explained that. Uh, okay. And point, point, uh, ah, yes, I should look at this. No, that, I already did that. P- point twelve. Point fourteen. This is worth pointing out here. Three points that Paul is focusing on here. Jesus is God. That's one of the points that's coming against the false teachers. The second thing, point B, Timothy is entrusted and empowered just like Paul is, and that's where Paul's going to go by the end of the chapter, is now you've been entrusted. Get in there and shut down the false teachers. And the sound teaching of the gospel transforms the false teachers 
reinforce lawlessness. So again, you've got the choices. The gospel, which is going to transform human history, or the legalistic system, which is just going to lead into more lawlessness. Chapter 1, verse 12, which I guess is where we're starting today. So <laughs> He says, I thank him who has given me strength. There he is, has that strength. Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me, here it is again, faithful, appointing me to his service. See that, besides being entrusted, he judged me, evaluated me as faithful. And now you've got to have those three options. Which of those three does that deal with? Um, but it's right there along with him being strengthened, appointing me to his service. So again, Christ Jesus is the one who chose Paul and appointed him to the service. Uh, page five, Paul now begins to use himself as a personal example of what the gospel is. And, and don't miss this, and I know you won't, but the ideal here is how does this gospel actually work? Well, Paul said, well, watch me. Uh, point 2A, the law cannot save. Okay, there's your example, 2B and C, the mirror, the medical thermometer. Point three, Paul's personal testimony demonstrates the man's need for mercy and grace from God instead of the law and the fabricated myths. In other words, did the, the law help Paul? No. Did these fabricated myths help Paul? No. Did these incredible stories and uh, speculation help Paul? No. What helped Paul was Jesus Christ came and did the work. Now, there's the message. Jesus has won the victory. Oh, well, that'll help. I mean, it's like, what do we need to do? You've got to believe that Jesus, in his administration, has won the victory that he said through Isaiah he was going to win and would come back and rule and reign. Well, how, how, what do we need to do? Uh, well, when Titus destroyed Jerusalem and they had the triumphal procession into Rome and you were a Roman citizen living in Rome at the time, what did you do? You just went out and watched the procession. Oh, look, we won. That was it. I mean, it's like you didn't like, oh, wait, I better go burn something in Jerusalem. I better, it's like the emperor won the battle and marched in. Jesus won the battle and has marched in the triumphal procession. You are part of the triumphal procession. In fact, if you want to push, we, I could go spend another hour on it. You are the captives that were taken out of the dark world and brought into the kingdom of God. You are in the triumphal procession, in a sense, as the trophies. You're being brought in as the prize. It's like, what happened? We were taken captive. By what? By the gospel. Oh, look, we're in Rome. We're in the kingdom of God. It's like, what did we do? You're taken captive. Jesus Christ has done everything. Do we need to follow a law? You're already here. It's like, you just need to become a Roman citizen, or you just need to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. You just need to become a, 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 a citizen of this administration. Keep learning. Hear the sound doctrine. So that's kind of, I think, what is being said there. Um, point B4B, the verse and the following verses of Paul's testimony, which contradict what the false teachers were pushing, state that it was Jesus Christ coming into his life that made him and his calling trustworthy. These are the things that he says happened to him in these next verses. I thank him who has given me strength for appointing me. I received mercy. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love. And somewhere in there, it says, I think the word I is used eight times, or I and me is used 11 times. In those verses, Paul says, I or me. Again, I usually go through and count it, but it's like 11 times. It's I, me, I, me. But what he's talking about is this is Jesus, this was me, and what happened was Jesus came to me, and here I am. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. It's Jesus transforming your life. Uh, 
Paul was considered trustworthy and faithful, that's point C, by Christ Jesus, because Jesus Christ gave Paul strength. Support for that is in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, on bottom of page 5. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What am you? I am trustworthy. <laughs> he, he, he made me trustworthy. I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Now, here we go. We're going to have a calling or an empowering, and then we'll just use the word daily. And this is what Paul says. He, he called me. He empowered me. And now, is this going to be in vain? Now, now it's, this is where you're living your life. You've been called. You've been empowered. You are in the kingdom of God. But now you do have this daily responsibility. It, it, it's the growth. It's the service. In fact, he's, Paul's never called uh, an apostle in these verses. He refers himself as a diakonos, as a servant. Uh, and so, in his daily life, with this empowering, this calling, as an apostle with the gospel, uh, he's, gonna, he's responsible to, to grow, to provide service, to do the work, and it's not going to be in vain. That's what he says right here. It came to me. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, <laughs> this, this sounds arrogant. This sounds arrogant. But what does this look like? This is your calling. This helped. Some of you are thinking, well, it just sounds like greasy grace. God just saves us, and we're just like in the stands clapping. It's like, what, we're, we're in Rome? It's like, we're just, what do we do? Okay, this is your calling, but now you're sent out with this empowerment, with this life, and your daily life, you're going to have to grow. You're going to have to hear the truth. You're going to have to grow in the understanding. You're going to have to serve. What did he call you to do? And then Paul, it sounds arrogant, but it's exactly what this category looks like. Everything is grace, and now it's handed to you. Now, you're not going to go back to following a law, but you're going to start to tap into this power. You've just received the inheritance. What do I do with this? Well, I don't want to waste it. And that's where Jesus talked about someone hiding it and stuff and someone investing it. Or I received the shop. You know, I got this great shop. What do I do? Well, eh, I don't really want to do much. I just want to maybe turn into a study hall. It's like, well, we gotta, I got to learn how to do some of these things. I mean, there's some stuff in there I never knew how to do. So I had to learn. And so Paul's the same thing. You, you're here. You've got the position. Now your daily life, here's what he says. Um, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He says, since I'm an apostle, there's other apostles, but I'm going to work harder than all the other apostles. But guess what? It wasn't me. It was that same power working with me. How, how far do you want to push this? You're not going to exhaust the eternal one of heaven. I mean, it's like, how, how, harsh, how far do you want to go with this gospel? I, I want to go to the ends of the earth. He ends up in, possibly in Spain. I mean, he's all over. He's getting beat. He's getting whipped. He's getting put in prison. It's like, what, when are you going to quit? It's like, as soon as, God, as soon as my energy runs out. And they had to cut his head off. They had to think and cut the guy's head off to stop him because he's not letting it go to waste. Now, there's a, there's a balance in that whole thing about, you know, healthy, you know, good mental health and stuff. Don't drive yourself crazy. Uh, but he's saying, I worked harder than all of them. So in other words, he has this, but he's also responsible. How are you going to develop your gift, how are you going to develop your position? And that's Philippians 2 at the bottom of page 5 again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act 
according to his good pleasure. So right here, you've got the salvation, but now work it out. What has God saved you for? In the, you're in this administration. You're not just in the crowd cheering. I use that illustration. But you're now part of the military. You're part of the victory. Uh, uh, what are you doing in this administration? Okay, page six. Oh, boy. Uh, though formally, now this is Paul explaining the power of the gospel. It can't be a law because he says, I was not following the law. I was, here he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, that's going to be another interesting, acted ignorantly. Uh, that'd be a great excuse to just run through our whole life and say, oh, I was ignorant, I was ignorant, which means don't learn anything, just run around through life, be ignorant, you're, you're innocent. Uh, that's not the way that works. A blasphemer, it means someone who is abusive in speech and action. Uh, blepo, or blepto, is uh means to hurt Femi means saying so it's a a hurtful report means is blasphemy and that's acts chapter 8 verse 1 uh saul is approving of his execution uh persecutor uh de which means to hunt down from dioko which means to put to flight so paul was pursuing the christians that's acts 8 3 paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison and insolent is hubristus it means a violent man it's from the word hybrito hubrizo which means to run riot to outrage to mistreat using unfair tactics to inflict undeserved harm. And that's where Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse... And these are progressive. Blaspheming, persecutor, and finally insolent. And chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, Paul still breathing threats murder and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if any be found belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And that was where he was just being... He was just being insolent. He was just going outside the lines, trying to be cruel, uh, trying to you know, in, inflict this pain. That's where God meets him. Uh, being ignorant, he said, I was ignorant. That means unbelief, acted ignorantly. Uh, you can see the word gnosko in there with the prefix a, which means no or not. So no knowledge or no uh, recognition, no, uh, he had not come to the knowledge. And he, he knew the law, he knew right from wrong, but he did not know the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so on the road to Damascus, he saw Jesus, and that would be the turning point. It's like, oh, now I know, and he changed his mind. Now, again, I've always said, and this may be wrong, but Paul could have rejected, right there, he came to the knowledge and persisted in his way, and then the book might be different. And Paul's on his way to Damascus and died of a heart, massive heart attack on, on the road to Damascus. He just fell off his horse. or what, It doesn't say he was on a horse. We always say that. So again, I, I add that to the story. But when he saw Jesus, was that his come to Jesus meeting? He could have said yes or no. Uh, but nonetheless, he was acting without knowledge of Jesus. And once Jesus revealed himself, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. And he, he repented. Which, of course, uh, the false teachers... Again, this puts him in contrast with the false teachers in Ephesus. They have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ or been exposed to it and in a sense had said yes or partly yes, but with full intention of deviating away from it. So they are being held responsible. Chapter 1, verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Again, he, comes, he, just, he accepts Christ and he just poured into him faith and love the spirit of god basically came into him and and his whole perspective has changed 
uh, and verse 15, the, the saying is, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And that is, again, the saying is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And again, I don't think of, of whom I am the foremost is part of the church liturgy necessarily. Uh, five times this is going to be used in 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Uh, four of the times it's used of salvation. This is a trustworthy saying. This is what salvation is. And so I have already addressed that, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is, if you don't agree with that, uh, you can't be Christian. I mean, it's like, this is a trust. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's like, well, I think a little, it's like, oh, well, yeah, you can think differently, but you, you're not a Christian. Uh, chapter 1, verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason. Why? That in me as the foremost, meaning the worst sinner, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example. In other words, what he's saying right here, he says, why did my life go down this way? He says, so when I preach the gospel, when I present the administration of the household of God, I can use me as an example. Paul, who was a sinner, I was, how big of a sinner were you? I was persecuting the church. I was blaspheming God. I was hunting people down and putting them in prison. And then Jesus shows up, and now I am entrusted. I am part of the plan. It's like, so what happened? At what point did you start obeying the law? Do you understand? I was fully in full strides of sin going into Damascus to kill Christians. And God says, hey, I want to make you an apostle. And through Jesus Christ, I was transferred. He poured out love. He poured out faith. He gave me strength, and I was changed. Okay, so what did you do to become a Christian? What are you missing? I was a sinner trying to kill the Christians. And God says, here's Jesus. Here's your apostleship. I, it was the gospel. It was the truth. And he's using that in direct contrast to, okay, now many of you are trying to attain this level of righteousness. I'm glad you've joined us here today. We'll start off with an offering to get you on the right track. So with a donation, and it's like, and then we start building these levels. It's like, no, Paul says, God did this, so you've got to, how do we become Christians? Well, let's look at Paul. Sinner, killing Christians, meets Jesus, and apostle. Uh, so what do you need to do? Meet Jesus. Where, where? Well, he was on a road. <laughs> it, 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 so, I mean, that's what he says right here. Display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So, for, for these false teachers here, they bought, they've got all these lists for you to follow. He says, Timothy, just throw this back in their face. That I, the, the one who started the church of Ephesus, was killing Christians. I wasn't following the law. I wasn't fasting. I wasn't abstaining from wine. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything except killing Christians. And they want you to follow all these lists over here. It's endless genealogies. It's like, and there's no truth, and you're just going to end up back into sin. This will set you free. Uh, and now, he says, as a great place to end right here, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that is what he's saying. He says, this is what happened to me. He says... That's the message. Amen. And he, he probably quotes uh, a lyric from a song or a liturgy that the people are familiar with. He says, this is it. And now next week, he's going to go back to Timothy. And now you've got to stop these people that he started the whole book with. 
And, and that's what we see right there today. I'll pray, and you're free to go. Thank you for being here. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the simplicity of the gospel, but also the richness and the depth that it has to transform our lives, not just for salvation, but for, for power, for, for character change, and for the ability to perform and live a life that is pleasing to you at this time in history. We do ask that we not neglect our responsibilities, but we would do as Paul did, that we'd pursue these things and allow your transformation to be effective in our own life, in our own time, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here.